So on today's episode, I'm going to cover a few, uh, a wide range of topics as I always do. We're going to talk about, you know, toxic relationships, you know, how to spot them, how to exit them, um, and how they're created. And then also I'm going to talk a little bit about depression. We're getting ready to head into a time that is, uh, typically when people struggle with seasonal depression. Um, but depression in general is a, is a topic that people, uh, many people can relate to. So I'm, I'm going to talk about depression and also give some of the things and share some of the things that have helped me, you know, heal my own depression naturally. And then I'm going to end it off with uh, speaking about uh, the heat that, that Remy Ma is getting for, you know, her stance and her opinions upon the uh, the Bill Cosby uh, case. But before we do that, let's get into a little music. I'm going to play some uh, Mark Ronson. Uh, I used to love listening to this cat when I was in college. So let's get it started, shall we? All right. That was a little snippet of Stop Me uh, by Mark Ronson. Check that out on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Title, whatever your flavor. Check that song out. Really a uh, really fun, dope tune, but let's get right into it, shall we? Um, let me talk about toxic relationships, you know, abusive relationships, things of that nature. How we get into them, you know, how they're created, how to remove yourself from them, all that jazz. Uh, as someone that has been in uh, a few myself, one of the biggest pills that I had to swallow was that I was helping to create the situation and that I had accountability in, in, in the situation as well. Uh, and it goes back to how I always talk about power. If it's always up to someone else, you know, to create the situations that we're in, if it's always up to someone else to fix the situations that we're in, how can we ever expect to change them? If we don't take accountability for our part and the role that we're playing, and most of the time it's it's unconscious, um, because the abusive relationships that I got into, you know, up until that point, I had been fighting, you know, so hard to not become like what I had seen in my childhood. I was that was my whole thing. My whole identity was based upon fighting and making sure that I didn't become what I saw in my childhood. And then one day I looked up and I was it. And it's crazy because that's how energy works. What you focus on is what you get because your attention is the thing, is what charges uh, material reality. You know, when whatever you place your focus up, up, upon is what grows in your life. That's why it's so important to focus on the things you do want and not what you don't want. Because if you're focused upon the thing that you don't want, that's all that you're going to see. You won't see anything other than that because that's what you're looking for. But um, the times that I was in uh, toxic relationships were times when I was subconsciously looking for someone to save me from the problems that I didn't want to tackle within myself. Things that I didn't want to deal with, insecurities that I didn't want to deal with. And often we're taught, right, look to someone that can complete you. 
Look to someone that can fill the voids that you don't know how to fill. That is the number one ingredient in toxic relationships because you're not basing the foundation upon love. You're basing the foundation upon fear, trauma, and pain. And you wonder why that is what the relationship revolves around because that's the foundation that you built. You didn't come, and, and, and most of the time you're looking for someone, I just want somebody to understand what I've been through. I want someone that just knows my my struggles and my problems. And so you join up with someone else that has the same struggles and the same problems because that's how the law of attraction works. We attract to us the things that we're emitting from ourselves, not the things that we want. We attract the signal that we're emitting. And when you're focused upon your struggles and focused upon your problems and the traumas and the things that you've been through, guess what else you guess who you attract? The person that's focused on the exact same things. They're not focused on their light. They're focused on their darkness. And so when you're fo- when you attract someone that is in that is consumed with their darkness, you create a dark relationship. So and, and it's so important that you don't use that as your barometer for someone um, that is good for you because it, it, and it's how we're conditioned. We, we want someone that understands us. You know, we want someone that can help us, you know, see the things in ourselves that we're struggling with seeing in ourselves. But if we can't see them, how can we show someone else or how better yet, if we can't see these things in ourselves, how do we know when someone else is seeing them? We don't even know what it looks like. But you're, you're depending on somebody else to see in you what you can't even see in yourself. And they're doing the same thing to you. And it's like you're both projecting these voids to each other because we're all mirrors of each other. You know, whatever you, you, you see in your immediate reality is a reflection of whatever it is that you're looking at within yourself at that particular point in time. And again, it's a bitter pill to swallow because you have to take responsibility for what you're creating. It's easier to blame someone else and say, no, you're the problem. You're the reason why my life is shitty. You're the reason why I can't get ahead. You're the reason why I feel pain. But you create everything that you experience. And if you want to be the master creator of everything that you experience, you have to take responsibility for the good and the bad, not just the good. And we often like to just take credit for the good stuff that we experience. But when something bad happens in our life, we say, oh, no, you did that. But you can't be a powerful being if you constantly give half of your power away. You see what I'm saying? So um, toxic relationships begin. It's, it's like a drug. You know, you don't want the person, but you don't know how to live without the person. Because anybody that uses drugs... They would rather not use that drug to maintain a sense of sanity. They would not rather have to depend on something outside of themselves to feel whole. What we all want to do deep down is be able to bring that feeling out of ourselves without depending on anything outside of ourselves because that's real power. Whenever your power is attached to who you're with, what you have, whatever is on the outside of you, then you become a slave to that thing because you're, you, you're so afraid that if that thing leaves, that person leaves, then a part of you and your, your identity is going to go along with it. And you don't know how to survive without them. And that's where the abuse comes in. And abuse takes many different forms because in most of our minds, 
we think that an abusive relationship is, is, is one like I can Tina. They the only motherfuckers they have, you know, an abusive a relationship. But see, the abuse starts very subtly, very subtly. And I've experienced it myself to know I, I, when to cut it off. You know, we get red flags the immediate moment we meet someone. It is not to the to the extent that the relationship may evolve to or get to in terms of like physical abuse, but it starts small. At any point when you are in the 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 companionship or the company of someone, whether it's a platonic relationship or a romantic relationship, and you feel a sense that you can't be your full self, you cannot expose all of who you are. That's a first red flag that that relationship is not going to serve your highest self. Because if you can't expose all of you, if you can't be all of you, then what good is the relationship? The point of the relationship is to help you. The point of a a, a healthy relationship is to help you come out of your internal cocoon. But we a lot of times we'll stay with someone that is not good for us because of the external benefits that they provide us for our ego. You know, we might join up with someone that has a good salary. You know, we might be able to have kids. Our kids are cute. You know, we we look good on the outside, but that can only sustain you for so long because your soul doesn't need anything. Your soul is 100 percent good. And it doesn't need any of these outward worldly things to make it feel like it's somebody. Your ego needs that. Your ego is what's attached to an identity. But that is the first sign of a relationship that is not going to be healthy. That first moment that you feel like, oh, I can't say that. I can't say that out loud. Or what if they find that out about me? You know, what if they find out that I have this fear? Can you be vulnerable with them? Can your inner child come out and play? And not feel as though it's going to be reprimanded. These are the things that you have to ask yourself. If you don't feel being a hundred, if you don't feel comfortable being a hundred percent vulnerable with this person, showing all of your emotion, good and, and and showing the good and quote unquote bad parts of yourself, are they really going to be able to love all of you, or are you going to be in, caught up in this constant cycle of having to make yourself into what they want you to be? Because that's that's where the never ending pool, you know, comes from. And it's like most of us think that we can't get a hundred percent of what we want. We've been taught to accept the best that we can get. But from from a personal experience, I've experienced both sides of the fence. I was in that place for many years of my life where I felt as though I had to take what I could get, or, you know, oh well, they like me. You know, they show me attention. So maybe deep down, I just don't know how to accept someone that truly cares about me. These were the battles that I would have in my mind. But in my heart, I didn't feel good around this person. In my heart, I didn't like them. Like, I legit couldn't stand their ass. And that's another thing. You don't fucking like each other. You cope with each other. You deal with each other because you're using each other to kind of take the edge off of life. You know, you're a relief for me. At least, you know, when I can leave the cold, harsh world, I can come home and have sex or I have someone I can go out to eat with. You know, I can have someone that saves me from being alone with myself, you know. But y'all don't like each other, you know. And, and you you don't enjoy each other's company genuinely. 
And uh, you, you really have to ask yourself if you really feel comfortable, because if you don't feel comfortable, then you're going to then that's where the game uh, begins of hiding yourself and being manipulated into what they want you to be, because you can't win that game. You can, if somebody doesn't accept you as a hundred percent of what you are, as you are, the day that they meet you, they will never be able to. They will never be able to, and you won't be able to accept them. You tell yourself, you have these conversations with yourself. Was like, well, maybe you know, they they're eighty five percent on what I want. And, you know, one day I can grow to accept that fifteen percent that just drives a nail in your side, like <laughs> just annoys the shit out of you about them, and um, it's doing both of you a disservice because. To truly love someone is to accept them for all of who they are. And you may say in your mind, well, I just want them to be the best that they can be. I just want them to grow into their potential. You fuck yourself up when you fall in love with potential. Potential is not reality. And that does both of you a disservice because you're refusing to acknowledge who they already are. And who are you? To tell anyone what's best for them. Because if you flip that coin and somebody does that to you, how does that make you feel? When somebody says, oh, well, you're, you're a great person, but you should be doing X, Y, and Z. We all have our own journeys in life to live. And it's up to us to live that journey for ourselves in the timing that is right for us. It is not up to us to live up to the timing that someone else says is okay. And then we end up holding each other hostage in these situations because we've signed these contracts that nobody asked to sign. Who, who are you to tell someone else what's best for them? Who is someone else to tell you what's best for you? We have to learn at our own pace. And, and love, true love, is allowing someone to learn at their own pace with or without you. And you have to ask yourself, is the pace that that person going working, is, is the pace that that person going going to work for you? And if it's not, be honest with yourself and love yourself and them and let them go. But a lot of times what we do, we want to make a person into our project. It's easy for me to fix the things and point out the things that are wrong with you than it is. It's much easier to do that than for me to look in the mirror and face my own shit. I can tell you and give you a list of all the things that you need to work on. And the same things that that person that you're pointing out that they need to work on are the things that you also need to work on. But you don't want to deal with your shit you want, to, you want them to deal with your shit, and, and, and they want you to deal with their shit. And that's the toxicity. You're trying to pour into each other from half-filled cups. It's not possible. It's just like you trying to loan a friend money, and your own bank account is in default. Well, we can come together. We can help each other. How the fuck y'all going to help each other if you can't help yourselves? It's not possible. You have to get yourself together. And when you have yourself together, and, not in, in, and it's not in the sense of being perfect because nobody is perfect. What you have to be able to willing to accept is your type of crazy. 
Everybody got a little bit of crazy. Everybody is not, nobody is all put together. But what you have to know is what your threshold is. And if that person doesn't meet your threshold, let them go. But see, we, it's easier to accept abuse from others if they're a notch above the abuse you're giving yourself. Because if you are abusing yourself and treating yourself like shit, Somebody that comes along as just a centimeter above that feels like a relief from yourself. They're giving you a relief from yourself, but they don't see you. They don't really value you, and you don't really value them because you're using them as a crutch. You don't really like them, and you have to, you have to be able to accept each other. And, and the, my rule is if I can't accept you from the moment that I meet you, I have to let you go. Because I'm going to, you're going to feel like you're not good enough for me. And there will always be sort of this air in our, in our interactions that you can't live up to my expectations. And that per, is going to cause that person to have to walk on eggshells. And I've been in that place. And you both doing it to each other. You both have this, you know, this uh, expectation that neither of you are living up to because you didn't accept each other upon the meeting of each other. And you told yourself that one day they may evolve into what I think they should be. And that never happens because you end up creating a relationship that is based upon illusions instead of the truth. And that's where you get fucked up at. A relationship that is based upon the truth feels like absolute pure freedom. Because neither one of you are holding each other hostage for what you want to bring out of yourself. And those relationships that are based upon um, illusions feel like bondage. Because you're giving your problems away to this person. Like, I can't stand on my own two feet without you. So it's up to you to make me feel secure. It's up to you to make me feel safe. It's up to you. It's like a child with a parent. And we all have an inner child. And... A lot of relationships are between two inner children that don't know how to take care of themselves. They don't know how to parent themselves. And so you have two inner children in a relationship that are constantly giving their problems away and they never get solved. You get into arguments, you get into these explosions, right? Because there's all this internal rage that has never been released. And then you get into the argument and it all explodes, but it's never resolved. You go out to eat, you go have sex, you might do drugs together. You might, you know, you do whatever, but it never gets resolved. It's just the can keeps going, gets kicked, you know, down the road. And it's, um, it gets to a place where, you eventually get tired of it. And then, you know, somebody has to basically be mature enough to say, we can't keep enabling each other. We can't keep enabling each other to avoid uh, the things that we really need to work on in ourselves. And that's why periods of solitude are so important um, before you join up into a union with another person, because we're always evolving. Yes, we need human companionship because as a human being you need human interaction but there's a difference between being detached I mean being attached to someone and dependent upon someone and just enjoying the space that you have the privilege to share with that person none of us want to be dependent upon another human being we want to deep down inside know how to manage our universe on our own and um you have to have, be able to be aware of these periods of time in your life 
where you're basically your inner child is growing into a new level. You know, we grow up, we grow up externally on the outside. We age, we get gray hair, you know, our bodies break down. But deep down inside, we have a child within us that we must learn to reparent and we must learn to give the love that we wished we had received as a child. We have to learn how to be there for ourselves in our deepest and darkest moments, because that being able to know how to get yourself out of those ruts is what is going to allow you to be able to join into a relationship with someone else that's doing the same thing, because you will not tolerate abuse um, beyond the level of abuse that you're giving yourself. You absolutely, you simply won't because it's like, nah, like what the fuck nigga? I'm, I'm good. Like I'm good with me and my own solitude. And if you can't meet me at the peace that I have in my solitude, you got to go because I know how to handle me. I'm good. <laughs> so if you don't add to my peace and you're taking away from it, you got to get the fuck out. Like, cause I don't need you. I literally don't need you. I'm, I know how to handle myself when I'm going into these ruts. And it's hard when you've been in, because I, I used to deal with codependency in relationships. And I didn't realize that I was a codependent person. Because when you're in it, you can't see it. But in hindsight, as I've you know, done some self-examination, I was like, damn, I was just as crazy as they were. And how insane is it for us to constantly complain about our partner and talk about how unpleasurable they are, but refuse to leave them alone. That is the death. How does anything get crazier than, than that? They crazy. They cause you all these problems, but you won't leave it. How much sense does that make? None. But the truth of the matter is you aren't willing to see how much you need that person and how much that person is an addiction for you. Um, so you have to get to these, you, you have to be able to realize these places in your life. And we're all, we all know when we're being called to do it, these levels of growth that are scary, we're being asked to evolve into a new version of ourselves that we have in, and to go into new territory that we have yet to experience. And our inner child comes up and says, Hey, I'm scared. I don't know how to do this by myself. And what most of us and a lot of us tend to do, and instead of going and taking care of that inner child ourselves, we go out in the world and we try to find someone to take care of it for us so that we can be, we can basically kind of let go of the responsibility of doing it on our own. And there are always going to be these periods in life where you need to be by yourself because your inner child needs your 100% undivided attention because it's learning how to handle itself in new unfamiliar territory and it needs your love it needs your reassurance and it needs your affection and again it's a scary thing because you have a your ego is going to is going to tell you that you don't know how to do it on your own but your spirit understands that you do know how to do it on your own. You do know how to sustain yourself. You do know how to love yourself. Your spirit is very secure within itself. Your ego here on the material in the material world is unsure of itself. It needs security. And you have to learn how to balance between those two worlds. So being able to identify those moments where your inner child is asking for your 100% undivided attention 
And honoring that is usually what's going to be the difference between you creating a healthy relationship and you creating a toxic relationship. Because you're joining, when you go out and you're trying to join up with someone because it's too painful to be alone, you're not joining up with someone out of genuine intention. You're joining up with someone to, to, to basically use them, to get relief from, to take the edge off of life for you. And in doing that, we may not be able to verbalize it, but we can always sense when someone is using us versus seeing us. When somebody is seeing us, they're able to stand back and just be, you know, um, taken aback by our presence. They just love the fact that they are able to be around us. They love the fact of who we are. They don't need nothing from us. And you can feel that in your unions when they don't need shit from you. They just love you for you and love you for who you are. And if you were to leave tomorrow, they wouldn't stop loving you because they don't need anything from you. They're not asking for your validation. They're not asking for your security. And you can feel in those unions when someone needs you, they're using, they don't really like you, but they need you to make them feel whole. They need you to make them feel complete. And there's nothing more heartbreaking than that. You don't want to need each other. And that's where the, that's where the pain and, and the uh, abuse comes about because y'all, y'all hate the fact that you need each other. And um, it goes with, with anything, friendships, you know, uh, romantic relationships, all of it. You have to be, you, you can sense when somebody doesn't really, you know, jive with all of you, but they won't break it off because, oh, we all need somebody. That's the worst reason to create a relationship because we all need somebody. Do you really like each other? Ask yourself that and really feel your feelings, you know, really understand that you, you get those red flags immediately. You know, from an instant of meeting someone, if you're going to like them or if they're going to annoy you. You know it, you know it, you know it, you know it. But the only thing that stops you from honoring that knowing is when your ego comes into your mind and says, you know, it show is cold, you know, the world is cold out here. You know, it show would be nice to have somebody to talk to. You can talk to your damn self. <laughs> you can talk to yourself. You can journal, you can do these things. But, but that's where we, you know, that's where we get caught up. And creating these toxic situations because, as I always say, love is full acceptance. We we get the idea of what love means fucked up. Love is not I love you as long as you do what I want you to do. Loving Love means I love you whether you do what I want you to do or not. And if you and love is also acceptance. And that don't mean that the motherfucker got to be in your life. You got to learn how to love people from a distance. Just because you love someone, that does not mean they have to be in your life. Because me loving you is accepting that we don't fuck with each other. Me loving you is accepting that we get on each other's nerves. Me loving you is understanding that I'm not going to be the best person for you because I cannot accept you where you are today. You deserve someone that can see your light and accept you where you are today. Because if I can't accept you where you are today, I'm damn sure not going to accept you 10 years from now. I'm not going to accept you 15 years from now. And that doesn't mean you need to be perfect today. But again, what is your threshold? It's not about the money. It's not about what you have. 
Because if I can come into your life and I understand, okay, you may not have the money that you want to have today, but I can still accept that about you. Let's go. And, and in the same breath, if you come into my life and you got money and I think you're an asshole and, and you know, we both can pay bills just as well, but I don't like you. It's nothing that's going to change that for me in 10 years. So it's not about the material things. It's about where that person meets your threshold. And you have to be able to have a deep relationship with yourself to know what that threshold is. Because otherwise, how are you going to recognize it in someone else? So that's what I have to say on the toxic relationships. Um, So let's get into... Do another another little break here. Let's get into another another song. Um, yeah, let's do that. All right, man. I used to love that song. Shit, when I was a kid, but I used to kill some bread, man. Um, but anyway, let's get into the next segment. Uh, like I said in the beginning, we are heading into the winter time, and everybody is afraid of big bad depression. And let's talk about it, because honestly, I in in my life, the winter be lit for me. You know, I'm usually usually my bouts of depression end up in the summertime. So I'm a little, you know, skeptical that the weather really has that much of an effect, but I'm gonna get into, you know, some ways that it does have an effect on um depression. But I have been going through sort of this uh cocoon phase of my life where I, I have been I'm being asked to grow into a new version of myself. And that is what depression is. Depression is, is a death that you are alive to witness. Um, and I don't believe that it is something that is uh, incurable, that is uh, impossible to overcome. I, I used to believe that because I've dealt with depression through many different periods of my life. And um, it's something that I just kind of accepted that, oh, I'm just an anomaly. There's something wrong with me, blah, blah, blah. But now what I see depression is, is that it's a necessary part of life because you have you have hills, you have valleys. Life is not always going to be a hill. You need the valleys in order to recognize the hills. You need the lows in order to recognize the ascension. And so when you are leveling up to a new place in your life, you sort of have to dip down. It's just that's how energy works. Energy flows in waves. You have a you have a crest and then you have a valley. You know, you can't they need each other to coincide. And it's it's something that I no longer fight. It's something that I no longer see as a a problem. I see it as a necessary part of evolution. And so when I have these moments, it's still not fun. (laughs) It doesn't make it any less shitty. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But I have a an understanding now within myself that it's not this deep, dark hole that I would never come out of. Um, you know, the, the things that are born come out of darkness. When you're born, you literally spend nine months in the darkness of your mother's womb, and then you come into the light. So when a new version of yourself is being born, it's the same thing. You have to go into the darkness. And then when the new cocoon is ready to hatch you, you come into the light. And the it's one hand basically washes the other. And as we go in, we're going into the wintertime, a time where it's colder, you know, the sun is now. And I think that that is one of the main reasons that it plays into people 
having a rough time during the wintertime because you're not outside as much. It, I mean, legit, the summertime is my favorite season of the year because it just feels lit. It's lit as a bitch being in the sun, man. Like, especially as a black person, like you get charged the fuck up by the sun. Like, you know, I don't be sitting, I don't like sitting in the shade. Like I'm trying to sit in the middle of the grass. Let me get that, get, let me get them charges, nigga. Like, let me get charged up. <laughs> Let's get this melanin activated. But uh, it's, um, you get, the, the sun basically gives you something, you know, called vitamin D. And vitamin D, believe it or not, most people are deficient in it because we don't get sunlight like we used to back in the day. We used to spend mo- the majority of our time outside of buildings. And, or at least we got some sort of time outside of a building beyond a 30 minute lunch break, you know? So, um we get uh, the one of the best sources to get vitamin D is straight from the sun. And when you are had when you have fairer skin, fifteen minutes, uh, you know, forty five minutes a week, it can give you a a, a decent amount of can basically put you at a place where of normal levels. When you have darker skin, such as a black person, forty you know thir- three hours a week is what you need um, in order to maintain. A, a decent level of vitamin D sufficiency. And so because we are living lifestyles, most of us are living sedentary lifestyles where we're basically, we're going from the building we live in to our car or to the bus or whatever. And then we get, then we leave the car to go into another building. And then we sit up under fluorescent lights for eight, eight to nine hours. So we stand up under these lights for eight to nine hours. Then we leave that building. Then we go back to our car and then go back to the building we live in. We never spend any prolonged time outside. And when when it's cold outside, it gets even worse because it's cold shit. You know what I'm saying? I don't like cold weather. <laughs> I'm trying to sit my ass in the warmth, in the heat. And so um, it gets even harder to get that vitamin D. But again, uh, there are ways that are around this. And I'm going to share some of the things that help me um, heal my depression naturally. One of the things that you have to do, because I feel like because uh, depression is more of a spiritual thing than it is a, a physical thing. But it, they both co- coincide because, again, you are a spirit and a physical being. So there are physical things that you can do to help you manage it and come out of it. And then there are also spiritual practices that you can do that can help you come out. Of it. And these in, in really battling depression and learning the holistic nature of my being is what created, um, which in, which uh, is what inspired me to start my company because I was like, shit, I found the magic key. You know, it's not just by focusing on the physical. It's not just by focusing on the spiritual because when, you, when you're involving in life, you can meditate all goddamn day long. <laughs> you can, you know, you can do yoga and you can say your affirmations, but you got to fucking deal with the reality of your life. You have to be able to maintain uh, balance because you are you're in a physical world. You have a body, you have bills. These are things that you came to manage as well. So managing the holistic aspects of your life, the spiritual, the mental, and the physical is what is going to help you maintain your overall health. So what are the physical things, right? Let's go to the physical things. Supplements. There are when I, when I was really depressed, I learned. I did a lot of research because. <laughs> All I was doing, I was spending hours on the internet just trying to distract myself from the pain that I was feeling. And I was just searching. I, I searched the internet so goddamn much that I ended up finding books to help. Thank God. So I uh, I ended up coming across um, some supplements that 
helped me take back control of my mental health because depression is uh, literally about, you know, the things that are firing in your brain. You have neurons in your brain that fire serotonin and, and create all of these chemicals that help maintain your mood. And if your brain, the physical brain is not healthy, it can't do its job. It's just like you're a car. If the engine is gunked up, you've never changed the oil, you don't take care of it, guess what the fuck's going to happen? It's eventually going to fall the fuck apart. So your your body is your vehicle. It is your vessel that gets you from point A to point B. So one of the main supplements, vitamin D. Okay, I started taking a vitamin D supplement every single day. I started taking a vitamin B12 supplement every single day. I started taking magnesium every single day. I started taking something called L-tyrosine um, every day. And these are the four main things that helped me the most in clearing the fog, uh, the literal fog that was in my mind because my brain was literally clogged the fuck up and it wasn't getting the things that it, it wasn't being able to do the things that it needed to do to help me. And so vitamin D, vitamin B12, magnesium and um, L-tyrosine in unison helped me to turn my mental health around, helped me turn my brain health around, which subsequently helped me turn my mental health around. And you can do your own research on these. I prefer, I, I like to use uh, Dr. Axe's website a lot. Um, you can go to his website and search all of these supplements and do your own research and see how they, they lend themselves to a, a healthy mind. Uh, another physical thing, going to the gym, get your ass up and move because when you're depressed, you really what you want to do, you want to spend your, your whole day in the bed. And, you know, we talk about things like something called like the impossible task, you know, where shit at my lowest, just going to the mailbox was hard enough for me. Just opening my mail and brushing my teeth was in it was a seemed like a mountain of Everest. You know, now in hindsight, I can. It doesn't seem that that magnanimous, but when I was doing it, oh my God, the simplest shit seems so overwhelming. But the beautiful thing about the gym is it gives you a task to complete. Okay. It gives you a something that you can feel like you have accomplished for the day. Even if you just go for 15 minutes, start with that. That shit will help you so much because even if you go for 15 minutes, you're like, damn, I did something today. And not only you did something today, but you did something to help yourself. And it'll help you kind of start mending that relationship with being your friend again. Because um, when you're depressed, you don't like yourself. You don't like yourself because you're not taking care of yourself, but you don't know how to take care of yourself. And so it's just always this revolving door of just an unhealthy, toxic relationship you're having with yourself. Um, so those are the two biggest physical things that I can recommend. Oh, and another thing, water, drink fucking water. Water is one of the most slept on antidepressants on earth. And I thought it was crazy too, but think about it. Your body is mostly water. Your brain needs water to function. If your brain is dehydrated, like a dried up sponge, how is it going to fire these chemicals between in your brain? How is it going to do what it's supposed to do for you? So drink a lot of water, drink, you know, at least half a gallon a day and and and, and cut out, you know, I, I what I did, I cut out anything that wasn't water. You know, I, I was only drinking, that's pretty much it. I just drink water, water and green smoothies is what I was drinking. And um, another thing is food, you know, get your food straight. You know, um, 
I'll go into this in, in future episodes where I think that the mind can basically overcome, <coughs> overcome matter at some point, but you ain't there yet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you in a rut, you ain't there yet. So you got to give your body the most help it can get to help you. And one thing that helped me a lot, I started drinking a green smoothie every day because most of the time I didn't get breakfast. Most of the time I didn't eat any type of fruits and vegetables unless it was just random or by happenstance. And most of the time I didn't eat anything raw or something that had vitality. I was eating all this dead shit. I was eating McDonald's like every fucking day. No one I was fucking depressed. It don't have no energy. You know, it wasn't the food I was consuming wasn't giving me vitality. So I felt dead. So doing something like drinking a green smoothie, you don't have to become a vegan overnight, but just making small changes to get things that have vitality inside of you because you need energy. Okay. Um, now spiritually, spiritually journal, journal, and then something, even if you can't bring yourself to journal, right? When you first wake up, one of the main things you do, you grab your phone, get on social media, you don't take time to tell your mind what to do. Because, see, you have to take control of your mind. So when you're depressed, your mind is controlling you. And it's really supposed to be the other way around. You are supposed to dictate the thoughts that you're You are the creator of the thoughts. The thoughts don't make you. You make them. And one thing that changed uh, everything for me was when I woke up, the first thing I made myself do before my feet even touched the floor was to say three things that I was grateful for. It could be something as simple as having clean water to drink, having a bed to lay in, having you know money in my bank account. Because when you shift the paradigm and and, and you know start to program into your mind what you want to be there, it starts to kind of show you, damn, I really do have a lot of shit going right. You know, because there's always going to be, no matter where you are in life, you can always list a million things that are fucked up and a million things that are okay. But when you're depressed, you're only focused on the things that are fucked up. You can't see it. You have to balance. You have to bring balance back to that scale. And the way that you do that is start programming those thoughts that are on the other side of that spectrum. And so three things every morning when you wake up, start saying them um, before you even allow yourself to get out of bed. And uh, another thing, journaling, journaling helped me a lot because it's just it's a release, you know, to just be able to get the things that are on your mind and on your heart out. It's not about finding a solution right then and there. It's really just about having the, the, the cathartic therapy of getting the shit on your chest off. And uh, I would highly recommend, you know, getting a journal, journaling every single day. And you, what you really have to do is create a ritual. For yourself, um, go to church with yourself every day because so often we rush out of our door and we give the world all of us. We give everybody else us before we take time to take care of us. And um, you really have to take time for yourself and really and really just um, take a moment to get you together. Because if you're if you don't if you're not together before you step out in the world, it's only going to get worse. Because <laughs> there's so much stimulus, you know, that between social media, your job, you know, people that you deal with, your kids, your your spouse. There's so much stimulus. If you don't have yourself together, it's only going to get worse when you go out into the world. And so those are uh, those are a few of my tips and um, how 
to manage, you know, depression and how to, you know, overcome it. So, um, yeah, before we get into this last last segment to close things out, I'm going to play. Well, actually, no, nah, we're just going to have a little break. We're going to take a little breather and then I'm going to close it out with one more song for y'all. All right, so I want to get into this last segment. I always like to cover something about pop culture that is going on because there's always so much shit going on in the media and in the news. There's so much juicy substance to cover. And I always like to, because I hate, you know, the fact that most spiritual people are like, just talk about crystals and chakra. No, nah, I'm a whole person, motherfucker. Like, I like, I have an opinion on, you know, different aspects of life. I don't just have an opinion on spirituality, but I see things through a spiritual lens. You know, I see everything through, you know, a spiritual lens, quote unquote. So I wanted to talk about this and uh, shed, you know, shed my, you know, light on it. And so if you ever, there's a show on uh, Revolt TV with Joe Budden called State of the Culture. And uh, Remy Ma was on there. I don't know if I don't never I never watched the show, but I don't know if she's on there as a regular guest or whatever. But um, they basically kind of do the same thing as a podcast, but it's a live show. And so she they brought up the topic of of Bill Cosby um, and his rape case, and basically, um, you know, everybody can and gave these politically correct responses. You know, and everybody was like, "Well, if he raped someone, then he needs to go to jail." Totally agree. Totally agree with you there. Um, you can go watch the interview yourself and see what she said. I don't want to basically put words into her mouth, but basically she challenged, you know, the validity validity of his sentencing and, and if it was uh, too harsh. Um, that's basically what I got the gist of from what she was saying. She didn't say that um, he shouldn't have been found guilty. But she challenged the validity of if his sentence was fair in the environment that we live in, considering that we all know um, the judicial system is not skewed in the favor of black people. And I wanted to add, you know, my two cents to it. I totally get it. You know, he admitted to the culture of that time that he was in where he was, you know, drugging and raping women or, you know, and, and, or drugging and taking, you know, taking sexual advantage of women. And, you know, he pretty basically tried to, to, uh, frame it as, you know, that's the normal thing. That's what we did back then. That's what you did. And, uh, you know, if I believe that if you do something wrong, that you should be, you know, reprimanded for it. But I'm also not anyone's judge and jury at the same day because you, you are basically going to condemn yourself at the end of the day through your own karma. And whatever you create, you can't run from it for forever. You can put band-aids on it and try to take little detours, but at some point in your life, you are going to come face to face with the decisions that you've made. And if you have not made them in pure intention, your soul is going to create a situation to correct the scales of that. And karma doesn't hit people that don't, you know, and I hate when people say karma, you know, doesn't always, you know, hit the people that it deserves. You are judging yourself from your own heart. And so whatever karma you interact, you create it because you were looking to balance those scales of your life. 
And so I wanted to interject a very, just, uh, I wanted to, cause I always like to push the envelope. I like to ask questions that get people to thinking. And I see, you know, a lot of people saying that we shouldn't play the race card in this. And I get it. Totally understand. Um, because regardless of if people like Harvey Weinstein, you know, Matt Lauer, uh, what's the other cat, the cat that has, you know, HIV that was sleeping with women and wasn't telling them or something like that. Uh, Charlie Sheen, I think. Um, you have men that have been doing the same thing, did the same things um, at the same level of uh, fame, so to speak, but nothing has happened to them. Not saying that it won't. It could possibly. Um, but what was interesting to me was watching my own community, you know, taking the stance of just mauling this man. You know, I didn't see really many think pieces on, you know, Matt Lauer or, or Harvey Weinstein. And again, it doesn't matter if a white man did it or not. If you did it, you will reap what you sow. That's just how things work. Totally get it. But at the same time, why is it that we are selective on how we play the race card? It, we say that we shouldn't play the race card in this, you know, and that he's a creep and that he needs to go to jail, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So why is it that we, we, when we bring up or when other people bring up, you know, subjects such as, you know, black on black crime, the fact that we live in food deserts or, you know, um, any number of things that are on the long list of uh, injustices, you know, in the black community that many of us look at white people, white people for being responsible for fixing. Why is it okay to play the race card in those situations? For some, I don't believe that it is because I think that we, it is our responsibility to do if we want to see change in our community, it is up to us to create that change and not to depend on someone else to make a way for us. But for a lot of the people, the, a lot of people that I've seen tear down Bill Cosby, they play the, the race card in one instance, but they don't play it in all instances. They're selective about how they play it. And um, in my opinion, I think that the, the sentence... Um, that he was given was intentionally harsh. And I think it was done for a number of reasons because you have someone like Bill Cosby who basically represented the, I guess, the ultimate, you know, black father, you know, a black father figure, not just for, for black people, but just kind of American general. That was his image. And it's crazy, like, like I talk about how powerful, you know, Hollywood is in, 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 as far as the images that they create and the illusions that they create and how they control how we see people in our minds and in turn how we see ourselves and our own possibility. And it just seemed to me like it was a very calculated takedown, you know, regardless of I don't know about the whole thing about him trying to buy NBC, but. Um, it seems like the people that that lifted him up tore him down at the same in, in the basically overnight because he's basically dead. You know, he's still living, but with the way he was crucified in the media. And again, I'm going to keep reiterating this: if you do a crime, you should 
you know, be punished for that. But does that punishment, does his punishment really do anything to one, help the victims heal? Is it going to stop future predators from um, committing these harsh acts? Or was it done to simply destroy the image of someone, which will permeate a lot further than you know the sentencing will? Because if you think about people that have uh, experienced someone, you know they, they may have murdered a loved one, you know, and the murderer gets the death penalty. They get they get killed. Does that really help them? Does it does that murderer getting killed bring them any sort of relief? Does it help them sleep at night? Does it help them heal? And nine times out of ten, it doesn't because the healing has to go, has to come from within. Whatever happens to that person, it happens, but it doesn't bring your loved one back and it doesn't take the pain and the trauma away that you you experience because of that instance. It's like an eye for an eye, two for a tooth. So the whole Bill Cosby thing, it just, it didn't sit well with me in my heart space because I looked at that man's mugshot and it broke my heart. It really did. It, it And I can't, you know, speak for how anybody feels. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion, but I can only speak about the emotions that I felt in my chest because I grew up watching this man on television. And I grew up seeing, you know, the Cosby show, seeing a different world. And it it was a very integral part of my childhood. And to see this person, you know, just basically just be dead, you know, because if you just look at the man's eyes, bro, he just he it was hard for me to look at. It really was. It, it was hard for me to look at. And um, I just I, I, I really. I don't think it was uh I don't think it was a, a fair thing that happened to him because I know for a fact he's probably he's gonna die in jail, you know, and he's probably his mental health, you know, is gonna go before, you know, his his physical health probably, and that's probably gonna lead to his his demise. But and again, not saying that he doesn't deserve what, what is happening to him you know, because we create the beds that we have to lay in it eventually. But my question is, why was his takedown so calculated? Why was it, why was it so harsh compared to people that share the same industry as him that aren't getting the same treatment? And, you know, whether it has to do with race or not, we cannot ignore the fact that it was not he he didn't receive equal treatment to his 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 party colleagues i will say that and if he will he he may one day you know harvey weinstein may you know eventually fall from grace but i doubt it you know i doubt it i really don't and uh i i don't think he will you know i don't think you know people forget about you know matt lauer and other people like that for a few years and then he'll come back and he'll get a job somewhere else. Um, but it's a, it's a lot of things compacted in this situation that are, you know, you can't really unpack it in such a short amount of time. But, but my question is, is why are we selective 
about the race card because I don't play the race card, uh, period. I, I don't see race as a factor in determining how far I go in life. I know that that, that is solely, uh, that so, solely falls squarely upon my shoulders. But why do we selectively choose, especially as black people, to play this card? Why is it that it's okay to play this card when it comes to affirmative action, when it's when it comes to you know getting ahead and like creating financial literacy for our community, creating uh, healthier eating habits for our community? Why is it okay for us to play the race card then, but it's not okay for us to play the race card when it comes to Bill Cosby? If if accountability is accountability, why doesn't that go across all boards? That's my question. And so that's where I will leave it at on this good day. Um, I love this. I love doing these podcasts. This is so fun. So much fun. So I'm going to leave us with uh, one more song to take us on out. And uh, you enjoy your good old Tuesday. And I'll be back mañana for more. <laughs>